0: We're so glad that you're here. We love this time of the service where you open up God's Word and get to read what God says, and I I just firmly believe that when we saturate ourselves with God's Word, um, it begins to transform us, and I know that there are a lot of stories in the Bible and things in the Bible you don't understand. I just want to encourage you, don't be afraid of it, because there's a reason why the things in the Bible are written there, and, and why we've taken a book like Daniel... We've been in Daniel for the last month, and we'll be in it today and then next week. We're just going through the first six chapters of the book of Daniel to help show you how valuable this word is. See, um, the thing you know about Daniel most likely is Daniel and the lion's den. And that's next week, so you don't want to miss next week. It's going to be a great story as we look at that and wrap up this series And then following that, we're going to talk about what we do every year at this time of year, a generosity. How do we give back to the community and to the world that God has placed us in? And so um, I just pray that your hearts open to see what God is going to do through us collectively as a church during this season. So if you don't know much about Daniel, I just want to give you a little background. Daniel was a man who was a Jewish man. He and his comrades were captured in the city of Jerusalem, transported to Babylon, who had overtaken the city, stole some things from their temple, and began to educate these men to be future leaders in the Babylonian kingdom. So there was Daniel, there was Hananiah, uh, Azariah, and these three friends uh, Mishael, who are the three friends of Daniel being trained up to be leaders. And yet these men decided they were not going to eat the meat or drink the wine that the king offered to them because that had been sacrificed to their gods. And they said, no, we will, we will eat vegetables and drink water, prove themselves healthier, and we're promoted to a place of significance in the kingdom. And we've learned week after week how those who make a stand for God, those who take the position God has placed them in and allow God to use them, God does amazing things. And that's really one of the themes of Daniel. God positions you for his purpose. You are where you are. Sometimes in a place that's not real great. Sometimes you wish you were in a different place. But God is going to use you where you are if you are surrendered to him. That's what he did with Daniel. Babylon's not where God intended Daniel to be originally, but Daniel ended up there. And actually, God allowed Daniel to be there for a purpose. Last week, we looked at a king named Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar was a man who was very proud. He had his own gods that he worshipped, and he went through a very humbling process to where he was driven out into the wilderness to be like an animal until he acknowledged finally that there is one God over all the nations, and he raises up people for positions of authority as he chooses, and those who are proud, he is able to humble You know, that that, that whole attitude of humility is critical for us to be learners. In fact, the subject today is to learn well. And, And we learn in two ways, typically. Intentionally, which means we go to school, we buy a video, we read a book because we want to learn something. But we also learn another way. In fact, I think sometimes the most valuable lessons are learned this other way, accidentally. It's the school of hard knocks. It's where you've actually made mistakes, and you go, man, I have learned what I should never do again. You don't put a wet finger in the socket, you know, that kind of thing, and I'm never going to do that again. And I, I, I learned that this week. I was working on the cover of a deck. I built this big deck a few years ago, and I had built a cover over the deck and put this plastic over the top that got destroyed this summer with hail, so I decided I needed to remove all that and replace it, so... I'm moving along, and I'm kind of in a hurry on a Friday afternoon working on this because I have a wedding rehearsal Friday afternoon. So I'm climbing up a ladder. I've got my screwdriver. I'm removing the screws that hold the plastic down. I'm making good progress, and I decide that, you know what? I don't want to just keep crawling down and move the ladder over a little bit and do some work and crawl down and move the ladder over. I'm just going to get up on top and start working on on the roof. So I've got my drill there, and I'm taking off these screws, And I know that there's some joists that are two by six in size. They're pretty firm. They're anchored well. I could stand on those. But there's these little two by fours that are that aren't as solid. And I just got to be careful. Don't step on those. You know, it's pretty simple. So I'm working up there, and I actually don't know exactly what happened. I just know that I heard this loud crack noise, and I started to go back, and uh, I'm falling. So I reach over like uh, like a barrel of monkeys guy, you know. I, I reach out like this. I grab the, the the beam over here, which swings my legs out this way, and I can't hold my weight, and I drop head first on the deck and smack my head. And I thought I just got Cam Newtoned, you know. ooh. <laughs> That's smarted. And you know it's amazing how many thoughts go through your mind in a very brief second, and it was just a brief second because. O- only like a half a second later, I get thumped in the head with something really hard. And I realized that drill just came down and fell in such a way that it didn't fall over there or over there or down here, point down, hit me in the back of the head. And I went, ow, now that hurt. <laughs> and I reached back to feel just to make sure, you know... There's nothing real bad, just a little lump, because I need to get back up and finish, and my whole hand is covered in blood. And and then I'm looking, and drip, drip, drip. I went, this doesn't look good. So I decided i better call my wife real quick. So I call her. She has her phone on mute. So I said, okay, this isn't real good. I need to sit down for a second and just think what I need to do. So actually, I took a a towel that happened there, pulled it hard over my head. I, I closed down everything, got in my car, drove three miles home, She said, hey, honey, I got got something for you to look at. So she came upstairs, and she starts freaking out. So we go in the bathroom, and she scrubs it up, and she says, you know, I I think we need to get to the ER. I said, no, it can't be that bad. It doesn't hurt that bad. She goes, but it's bleeding pretty bad. We need to get to the ER. So we go down to the UC Health up on Fontaine and, excuse me, Fountain Mesa and Mesa Ridge Parkway, and I'm getting looked at. And they say, you know what? You're going to need some stitches in your chin and your head. So I have four stitches right here. I haven't shaved for a couple days. so uh, It's going to be there, for, stitches for a week. And then he starts stitching up the, the, the top of my head, and he says, I need to stitch this up so your brains don't fall out. And my wife, my wife just assures him, don't worry, there, there's none left. Don't worry about that. You know, I, just, I was thinking about how I would never tell my son to do it that way, I would never tell someone else to do it that way. It's just say I'm different. I know how to be careful. I know how to watch out for dangers. And I learned the lesson the hard way. I'm not the only one in this room, by the way, that learns lessons the hard way. <laughs> you know who I'm talking about. I'm talking about you. You're the one that made the decisions financially that says, you know what? I should have done this way back then because we're getting close to retirement. We're not ready. Or, you know what, I should have taken better care of my health because now the doctor says I've got all these problems going on with my body. Some of you have learned some incredibly profound lessons in your marriage the hard way. Some of you have gone through a failed marriage and says, you know, I'll never do what I did in that relationship again. And we learn. We, we learn some very difficult lessons. We are always learning. I don't care how old you are. And here's the truth. I can learn from the mistakes of others or I can repeat them. I can learn from the mistakes of others, or I can repeat them. I should actually actually say, I can learn from the mistakes of the past, because sometimes the mistakes are your mistakes from the past. reminds me of the guy who was watching college football while he was ironing his, his dress shirts for his business, and, uh, and uh, he came to work the next day, and he's got this, this uh, burn marks on both ears, and he says, what in the world happened? He says, well, I was ironing my shirt during the ball game. It was a very intense ball game and my phone rang, and I just instinctively grabbed the iron and said hello. Darn it, it was the wrong number. And they said, wow, that's awful. What happened to the other ear? He says, he called back again. (laughs) Some of us are like that. We repeat the mistakes we've made in the past. We just haven't learned. That's the key. Am I learning from the mistakes of the past so I don't repeat them? You know, I don't like to be the, the guinea pig to go first. You know, the person who says, hey, let's jump from this cliff and see what happens. You go first. You go first. Let's make sure there's no rocks in that water. You know, if I was in Afghanistan, we're walking down the street, I'm going to walk behind the guy who's looking out for the bombs, buried in the road, and I'm going to walk exactly where he's walking. I want to learn from the, from the people in front of me. I, I want to learn the good things, and I want to avoid the bad things. I want to ask you today, do you need to learn? Are you in a position to learn intentionally? Because if you're not, you're likely going to learn the hard way accidentally. So let's just be intentional. Let's ask God to teach us today as we open up his word. Father, speak to us through your word today. Make it come alive. Address the issues. There are many of us in this room, Father, living in the midst of mistakes we've made just recently, and we didn't know what to do. So we ask for your guidance in Jesus' name. Amen. So Daniel chapter 5, starting with verse 1. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. And while Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines, might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines, drank from them. By the way, if you don't know what a concubine is, it's kind of like a mistress, okay? She's only there to serve his sexual needs. And as they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. I want to I draw from this story today some questions that help us to discern, am I really learning or not? And the first question that arises from this section we've just read is, am I building on the legacy given to me? There's a new character introduced here. His name's Belshazzar. Never heard of him yet until right now. We've been dealing with Nebuchadnezzar for the first four chapters of Daniel. What happened to him? Well, he died, and, and actually a couple other kings came into place, and it's now decades later, several decades later, that Belshazzar is king. Belshazzar means may Bel, the god Bel, protect the king. It sounds very similar to another name we've, we've learned in Daniel chapter 1, Belshazzar which was the name given to Daniel, which actually means the very same thing. And we know that Nebuchadnezzar is called his father, um, but in biblical times, sometimes someone who was your father wasn't biologically your father. It was your ancestor, someone along the line. Or maybe it is someone who was a mentor to you called as the father, and you might be their son. So at this time, historically, Belshazzar was king, and there actually was another co-regent, named Nabonidus. Nabonidus went out. He was fighting some battles. He fought the battle with the Medes and the Persians and lost. And the Medes and the Persians, which was a neighboring country, began to come in and close in on Babylon. So they began to take city after city. And so here Belshazzar is kind of fortressed in this thick-walled place in the center of city of Babylon with a 1,000 of his leading men, his nobles, his wives, and his ladies. And they're having a big party. It may be his way of inspiring the troops, saying, guys, we can win this battle, we can hold down the fort, but we're going to have plenty of wine tonight. And you know what happens when you get a room full of men with liquor and some women? This is not staff appreciation dinner, okay? <laughs> this is probably, probably a wild party on the verge of an orgy. And, and, the, and, the, and the wine's having an effect on the king because he says, hey, remember those fancy dishes they got from the temple of Jerusalem? I'm going to go get them and bring them in. And so they bring in these sacred items that Nebuchadnezzar had actually stolen just because of their precious value, gold and silver, took them from the temple and had put them in storage. He remembers those, has them brought out. Here's what he does. They not only drink from them as if they're, they're additional drinking utensils, while they're lifting them up, praise be to the gods of gold, gods of silver, the gods of bronze, gods of stone and wood, We praise you and drink and desecrate those holy cups. You know what's interesting is that he had a father figure. It may not be his literal father, but someone up the chain named Nebuchadnezzar, who we just learned last week, had an amazing transformation. Because of his arrogance, he was driven out in the wild. He was humbled, and he came to the realization that there is one true God who, who is sovereign over all the kingdoms of men. His dominion is an enduring dominion, and he is the one true God that I should serve. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar himself said that, that this is the God that I will worship because he's able to humble those who are proud and raise up those who are humble. He was given a legacy to build on. You know, he was given an office of a king, probably didn't have to work for it, was just handed. It's kind of like the son that gets the family business. You get handed that, um, He gets a lot of wealth and power along with that. And he begins to flaunt it. He begins to exploit people with it. He's been given people within the kingdom that are are very wise, like Daniel. We don't see him here. Apparently, Daniel didn't get invited to the party. You don't invite a godly person to a wild party. I learned that in high school, that I didn't get invited to parties once I became a Christian. And Daniel doesn't get invited. And I think if Daniel even got invited, he would have said, no thanks, no thanks. So he inherits some good people, but he doesn't have them close by his side. He decides, I'll get my own friends, my own people that I want around me. But the worst thing is he forgets his spiritual legacy. My mom used to sit by our bedside. when We were little children and read us Bible stories at night. And she would pray for us. She would pray with us. It was my mother that took us to Sunday school, took us to vacation Bible school. And my home wasn't a perfect Christian home by any means. I wouldn't even call it a Christian home. But my mom laid a a, a foundation, a belief in a God who was there and a love for Jesus Christ that I could build on. And there came a time where I was involved in high school youth group and gave my life to Christ, and, and I am where I am today because a foundation was laid, an imperfect foundation, but a foundation was laid by my mother. Many of you can identify because you've grown up in a home where your parents laid a spiritual foundation. And it may not have been perfect, but they laid it down. Have you built on it? Because you can't just take an inheritance and squander it and flaunt it and waste it. You have to build upon it. If you inherit your your father's or mother's business, you build on it. You don't coast with it. It'll die. You'll lose it. You build on it. If you inherit a spiritual legacy, you build on that. And I've had many men and women in this church say, Pastor, you know, my, my mom and dad took me to church when I was little. They had me baptized, you know, in the Lutheran church or Catholic church. But I'm at a place now where I want to own my faith as my own. And I want to choose to be baptized as a surrender to Jesus Christ. That's my decision. I say, thank your parents for the foundation they laid. Thank them, because that got you started down the right path. Build on the legacy given to you. If you want to learn well, build on that, rather than repeat the mistakes of others. Then we go on with the story, starting with verse 5. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared "...and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. The king summoned the enchanters, the astrologists, and the diviners. He said to those wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck, and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom." Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified, and his face grew more pale, and his nobles were baffled. The queen, hearing the voices of the king and his nobles, came into the banquet hall. May the king live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. Your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. He did this because Daniel, whom the king called Belshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. With a guy like that, wouldn't you lean on him? Call for Daniel, and he will tell you what the writing means. The king sees the writing on the wall has no clue what it means. Reminds me of many of us. Are you listening to God's voice? Are are you hearing what God is trying to say to you? See this right in the middle of this revelry, drinking the wine and praising his gods, this mysterious hand shows up and starts to to write on the wall. And he is terrified. And, and I believe that he was convicted, recognizing the fact that he knew what he was doing was wrong, and all of a sudden, this miracle is, is making him feel so guilty, so ashamed that he knows that, that he's in trouble. So his face turns pale. I mean, his knees are knocking. That's, that's terrifying. And and, and he, he starts to look around. Can anybody tell me what this means? Because I have no clue what this is saying. I mean, I, I understand the words, but I don't know what they mean. And he offers this bribe to anybody who could, who could discern it, that he'll elevate to such a high level, third in the kingdom. But none of the astrologers or, or enchanters or diviners can do that. And so then the queen says, hey, there is a guy. Remember that guy? Father Nebuchadnezzar said it would help him in his time of need, he used to interpret his dreams. That guy, Daniel, you ought to get him. You ought to get him to come. I'll bet he could tell you what it means. Daniel was the last resort. He, rem- he comes in to speak the word that Belshazzar can't hear, much like Nebuchadnezzar, who couldn't interpret his own dreams, had to call on someone else, reminds me of many of us who need someone else to hear God's voice for us. Now, when you're young in the faith, you look to your parents, you look to your mentor, you look to a pastor or teacher to speak God's word to you. Help me understand the Bible. Help me understand what God's trying to say because it doesn't make sense to me. And I, I get that. There's a place we all need that. But there should come a time in our lives where we say, Do you know what? I'm now hearing the voice. I'm now understanding what God's saying to me. I can figure it out on my own because I'm listening to the Lord. But here's the danger. Some of us can be so accustomed to have someone else do the listening for us. Well, I need Beth Moore to do that. I need Andy Stanley to do that. I need this preacher, that preacher, this pastor or or, or whatever to do that for me because they do it so well and they hear God's voice better. So I'm just gonna trust them. But that's not a good place to be. You need to be in a place where you yourself are saying, you know what? I, I think God's telling me to do this and I need to say yes to it. And I just wanna encourage you to be in that place. When I was in high school, there was a youth leader named Larry who had this dynamic relationship with Jesus that I admired. And so I would watch Larry, and I would hear him tell stories of what God was doing in his life. And I said, you know, I wish that was happening to me. I wish I had that kind of relationship with Jesus. And within a couple years, I had that kind of relationship with Jesus to where I didn't need Larry to hear God's voice tell me what God's saying. I was now reading the Bible or praying and starting to discern what God was saying to me. Let God speak to you. And if you're truly listening, you will hear. Jesus said, my sheep, hear my voice. I know them because they follow me. And so that's why when we bring you into this environment, we pray all week when we're preparing messages that God would use it to speak to you in your unique situation where you are. And I just have to tell you, the greatest lessons you'll ever learn are the ones when you hear God's voice and say yes to him personally. So get to that place where you're listening. That's when you're truly learning. Then the story goes on. We're going to jump down to verse 17, Daniel's response. So then Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. Your majesty, the most high God, gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the nations and peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like the ox, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and sets over them anyone that he wishes. But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself. Though you knew all this, instead you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven You had the goblets from the temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives, and the concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that was written. Mini, mini, tekel, parson. Here's what the words mean. Mene. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel. You have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Paris or Parson. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple, a gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. And that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of sixty-two. The writing on the wall. By the way, there are many phrases in the Scripture that become part of our vocabulary. Things like the apple of his eye. That's, that's a verse from Proverbs. And the writing on the wall. Have you ever heard that? Man, he just read the writing on the wall. It means like judgment has come. Um, something's been declared. It comes from this story in Scripture. He saw the writing on the wall, and it wasn't good. And here's a lesson I learned from this part of the story. Do I care about how I will be remembered? Do I care about how I will remember? And if, I, if I'm really learning the lessons that God's trying to tell me through these experiences in my life, then, then I would care about how I'm going to be remembered. If I don't, I'm just going to repeat all those kind of mistakes. It doesn't matter. I don't care what people think. And we have all kinds of celebrities and politicians and stars who have gone that route of repeating the mistakes of others. I mean, I'm going to give you some names. I want you to think what your biggest memory of this person is. Benedict Arnold, O.J. Simpson, Marilyn Monroe, Richard Nixon, Chris Farley, Amy Winehouse, Bernard Madoff. All of them ended life badly. Criminals, addicts, suicidal. That was, that was the thing that's, that, that they were, they're, they're being remembered for in history. Not the good things, not the music, not the touchdowns, not the great statements made, but their sins, their failures. That's what's remembered the most. And there's only one story in all of Scripture about this king named Belshazzar, only one. The only thing we know about him is this story. It's not a good story. He dies at the end of the story. And it makes me wonder, when a story is written about my life, if it could be summarized in one chapter, would it be good or would it be bad? How will I be remembered? Do I care? about the lessons that I've been learning. See, Belshazzar knew all about Nebuchadnezzar because Daniel said, you, Belshazzar his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. You knew better. Why did you do this? You have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. Why would he do that? Same reason why I would crawl around on the top of a deck. I'm different. I'm different than other people. I know better. I'm not going to get caught. I'm not going to have to pay those consequences. Those are the lies we tell ourselves. Lies that eventually drift away when reality catches up to us and we pay the price. Belshazzar lost not only his throne, not only his life, but he lost his legacy. All that's remembered about him was an arrogant man who thumbed his nose at God and died for it. I was listening to a father on the radio the other day, and he said that most of his life has been filled with mistakes. And he said this. He said, "I have shown my children over and over again what not to do." You know there, there, there's actually some wisdom in that. I had a father who made a lot of mistakes. I watched his mistakes and says, "I don't want to be a dad like that. You can learn from the mistakes of others. That's why we're told, don't repeat the mistakes of others." There's a man in this church who grew up in a home with a dad who was an alcoholic. And as a young man, Kelly Barlow, got into drugs and alcohol. And he wandered from the faith that his mother had. As a, as a middle-aged adult, he and his wife gave themselves to the Lord. And Kelly began to search for how he could give back to others. And he wanted really to bless young men that are in, that are in similar situations as he was in to know that you don't have to repeat the mistakes of others. You can choose a different future if you want. And so God opened up a door for him and some others to go down to Pueblo to the youth offender system and began to minister there every Wednesday night. They've been doing that for about 15 years. Since that period of time, more than 70 young men have been baptized in their orange jumpsuits. Yesterday morning, Kelly Barlow went home to be with the Lord. And this Friday, we're having a service in this room. And you know what we're going to remember about Kelly? We're going to remember a lot of good things about Kelly. We're not going to remember all the mistakes of his childhood. What we're going to remember is how God took what had been redeemed of his life, how he learned from the mistakes of others, and how he used that to bring others to Christ. See, that's the beauty of the grace of Christ The lessons we learn can be transformational. See, these stories that are written in the Bible are written for a purpose. In fact, we're told that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says, you know, um, our ancestors were led through the the water by Moses through the parted sea. Uh, They ate miraculous food that God, God provided in the wilderness. Yet God eventually became very unhappy with them Because some of them became idolatrous and worshipped other gods. Some of them became sexually immoral. Some of them became grumblers. And tens of thousands died because of those sins. And then right after that, he says this. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11, 12. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful you don't fall. That's what I learned. When you think you're standing firm, because that wouldn't happen to me yet, I'm going to ask you how many of you have become idolatrous and put something in front of the Lord? Your job, your car, your money, your body, your kids, your grandkids? That's idolatrous. Anything that comes between us and God is idolatry. Sexual immorality. What is that? It's sex with anybody who isn't your married partner. God designed sex as a beautiful thing between a man and a woman in a committed married relationship. Anything outside of that is sexual immorality. How many of us have flaunted God by saying, I'm not going to get caught. There's going to be no consequences for me. I'm different. Times are different. Or how about grumbling? I mean, grumbling. We We don't consider that a major sin, but God does because it means we're ungrateful. We're ungrateful to the manifold blessings God has given us and people died because of their grumbling. He says, these were all examples to warn us. This is New Testament. This saying, guys, wake up how you're living. And so he then, he then moves over as he's talking about Jesus and what Jesus did for us. I mean, when you think of Jesus, how does Jesus want to be remembered? Do you remember the little baby in the manger? Remember the miracles that he performed? Remember the healings? Remember the things he taught? Of all the things you remember about Jesus, I'll bet, if you could summarize the most important thing it would be this He died on a cross for my sins. That's how I want to remember Jesus as my Savior. And see, Jesus wants to be remembered that way because the last night he ate with his disciples, they had a meal. <coughs> Excuse me. It's called the Lord's Supper. And at that meal, he took this flat bread and he broke it and says, This is my body broken for you. Eat. Do this in remembrance of me. And he took the cup, the cup of wine, fruit of the grapes. He raised it up and blessed it and says, drink this cup. This is the blood of the new covenant poured out for the sins of many. And today, all around the world, there are believers gathered in many, many places to do that very thing, to remember Jesus in the way he wants to be remembered. And so I'm gonna ask our ushers to go in the back right now and get prepared because we're gonna celebrate the Lord's Supper. But before we do I want, to, I want to caution you about something because Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that there's a problem going on in the church. Now, in the New Testament church, they didn't meet in buildings like this. They met in houses, houses where they listened to the apostles' teaching, houses where they um, had fellowship together, they sang together, and they actually had communion together. And communion was actually part of a meal, just like the night of the, that Jesus had it with his disciples. But here's the problem. Some people would come there with these huge appetites. and would be only thinking about their own stomachs, and they would eat and ignore the needs of the people around them. And Paul says, some of you guys have gotten sick, I mean, literally sick, and some have, have gotten deathly ill because of their desecration of that special meal. See, we would say, like, I would never raise up a holy thing of God and dedicate it to the, the, the pagan gods. And yet I'll tell you that there, there's some in this room who take the cup of the blood of Jesus Christ without, with very little thought as to what that cup represents. We're more, we're more concerned about the football game or what I'm going to do for lunch or that cute, cute, cute girl two rows down than we are about what Jesus did for us. And we make something holy something very unholy. So here's what Paul says to them. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. Examine yourselves. Every week when we have this moment of the service, it's not something we just rush through. It's something that Jesus would say, this is the way I wanted you to remember me. My precious blood shed for you. My body ripped open on a cross for you. You need to take this time and say, am I right with God?